Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers, and anyone who loves children's books. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet. I'm a mom of two boys, middle school teacher, a homeschooler, and a writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 50. It's the big one. And uh, <laughs> we know a little bit about the big one. <laughs> we might know a little bit about 50. Our little COVID babies turned 50. I know, right? It's the big 5-0. It made it. I can't believe that. It was our little pet project. It's and here menopausal we are. now. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse us while our while our podcast has a hot flash. <laughs> <laughs> Any glitches from now on out, you'll understand. <laughs> no kidding. Well, happy 50th anniversary, Margie. And to you, if it was not so early in the morning, uh, we could toast. We but could. <laughs> it's probably We're not. Coffee. Actually, it might make my day go smoother if we did toast. <laughs> my God, summer break is upon us. And as much as you look forward to summer break, it's rough. But it goes so fast. It goes too fast way too fast. But, you know, we have 50 podcast episodes, but I would say we've read over like oh, yeah. close to a hundred, over a hundred books for this. Oh, I like, think we've each read well over a hundred books. So if you picked one, what would you pick? Oh, you had to pick geez. one that was like the best. I don't even know if I could do spot? that. I don't think I could do it though. There's been like like well, there've been so many good ones. Like I'm turning around and looking at my bookshelf because I kept all the ones I loved and you know, we're not from here stands out. That's, yeah. That was one of the first ones too. Well, for me, Green Glass House was one of my faves, not, not one of your faves. I would say The Whispers is up there as oh, one of my all time faves by Greg Howard. That was definitely up there. And City Spies is pretty high up there. Yeah. You know what? I got to tell you, I have been, that book ruined me. <laughs> because I have been looking for like an adult version, not adult, Ooh, like, adult, like right. a grown up version. I was looking for something the other day. I'm like, oh, I want something like City Spice, but with grown ups. And I can't find anything like it. I have to say, the book that I read for today's episode definitely ruined me too, because I'm like, oh, I want an adult book that's like this with like a 50 year old adventure. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just so. It's realistic fiction, but like you can really get into it. I think it. that's why I enjoy reading middle grade so much is because it still has that adventure. But yeah, I mean, like the books I read this time for this episode, there were a lot of like life lessons in them that I even took Same. to heart. And I was like, this is good for anybody. Like these books are really good for anybody. Um, oh, well, and we also have to mention Song for a While by Lynn Kelly because that was... I know that was a big one. And honestly, I went through all of our old episodes and I compiled a reading list for my students for for July because their classes are suspended for July. And um, I was like, okay, here's some good ones. And do you know how many of my students had read that? A ton of them. A lot of them that are in Seattle had read it. And one of the kids, he was like, that was one of the best books I ever read. Look at you, little guy. Yeah, there's a lot. And so it was good. I love that we I could give offer them all of these great new books mm-hmm. and they all picked one. And then I could offer like, okay, you are going to, I know that you will like this one. I know that you will like this one because this is your style and things like that. So, oh, we're like little mini librarians. We're I like, know. Uh, like photo librarians. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Without the effort of like having to go find the book on the shelf. Find it, put it in the cart, find the number. Oh, so much work. God bless you, librarians. There's so much work to be done when you're a librarian. Oh, I love that, that you were able to specifically pick out books for each kid. That's amazing. And it's so frustrating too, because 
even like at uh, soccer or we go to the beaches, people are like, oh, my, I can't find anything for my kid to read. Like, I wish I could just find. Um, hello. There are so many good middle grade books out. So people need to share us more. We have a lot of important information. That is true. Um, but I also think middle grade is so hard because it sort of has to be marketed to the parents, but yet parents don't aren't necessarily in the places where people are talking about kids books. Right. That's why this podcast is really more for adults to help them find out what books might work for their kids. Right. I mean, that's why this is not a kid's podcast, you know, even though we talk about kids books. Yeah. Because I think that, you know, you're the one who's got to guide your own child or your own Mm -hmm. students to the books. And I I hate to say it, but I, I don't think a lot of parents are big readers. And if you're not a big reader, then you're not going to also know they're where reading to go their to own books, right? I mean, it's hard. Adult books are in very different places from kid books, you know, and ha- yeah. and, you, and you can't just like look up your favorite author and be like, oh, let's find them for a kid. You know, I mean, it doesn't always work that way. If you don't have your friendly librarian too, right. that it has, and if you, or if you have one of those old lady librarians, no offense, old lady librarians, <laughs> you're all out there, but um, that are just sort of like, oh, you should read where the red fern grows. Girl, Girl, there are so many better books than where the red fern grows. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. I think and you, you got to have a good librarian to know that. Yeah. We always talk about our favorite librarians because they're so important. You know, you have to have a good librarian when you have kids, especially. But a lot of librarians also, a lot of children's librarians, I had a discussion about this with my personal librarian who I love. Shout out to Melissa. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, like a lot of librarians are really into kids or uh, picture books. Oh, yes. And that doesn't always help. So you need a librarian that knows their middle grade or their YA. Like she's a really good YA resource and she's getting more involved in um, middle grade because I'm always telling her like, oh, read this one, read this Mm -hmm. one, read this one. Mm -hmm. Or she'll be like, I see you put this on hold. I'm going to have to read it. So, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, like everybody's got their specialization. It's hard to find that person for middle grade. Picture books are important to librarians because that's the introduction, right? Of kids to reading. That's how you hook them. Yeah. Yeah. And in, I mean, you can always kind of tell when parents don't even know what to do at the picture book level because they'll buy like, you know, the Disney books or whatever characters are on TV and they'll buy those picture books when there are so many amazing, beautiful picture books out there. Again, it's hard to get find those for them if they're not, you know, actively. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not actively looking or know about books. So yeah, it's tough. I got to say it, it. it's really tough because as I'm moving into um, YA yeah. to try to find stuff for my older one, YA is not my jam. And I will say, yeah, I need a guidance that's going to get me some, um, some YA that's not sexy. Right. Right. <laughs> that's not all girl. And that's right. the thing that I'm really struggling with, with YA, but you know, that's not all like girl based or, or fantasy based. Cause that's just not him. And it's funny because two of the kids in my class have said the same thing. They're like, I just don't want like a football book and I don't want fantasy, but mm-hmm. there's nothing to read. I feel like that, uh, most of the guys I kind of knew at high school who are readers switched over to adult books at that point. That's, yeah, that's what because my of that. Doing. But then that's really hard because you have to be very careful to not have too much stuff, you know. In yes, the books I don't and, want him to get like too violent or too sex, you know, mm-hmm. like too, too sexy time. Mm-hmm. I don't want my little, my little 14 year old to be like reading some sort of book that was made for a man. Right. But there are good adventure stories out there that are you know, somewhat clean enough for a 14 year old, you know? Yeah, there are, there definitely are. And, you know, if he watches stranger things like he's addicted to right now, then 
Yeah. Oh, then, yeah. then anything is possible. Um, right. Speaking of Stranger Things, have you caught up on it yet? I haven't. Oh, you have to. You. I thought you said it wasn't as good this season. Well, now I had to watch it with my my 14 year old. Yeah. And I had hot. to cut out because some parts of it were just I'm not a gory person and it's mm-hmm. gotten progressively gorier. So he'll give me the rundown. I'll be like, okay, I'm I'm out. Once there was like worms in someone's face, I'm like, I'm out. I can't tell me when to come back. And then he'll tell me, you know, he'll be like, okay, mom, you can handle this episode. This is what's happening. This is, he'll catch me up when we need to catch up. I just don't do well with like gore and violence. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't either. He'll be like, I watched that one from behind my hand. So I can't yeah. really tell you what happened, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure this is what was trying to happen. <laughs> but it's good. And I love the fact that now everyone... Um, loves Kate Bush and Metallica because I feel very validated. Thank you, Stranger Things, for helping us old people feel relevant again. Generation Generation X says thank you. We needed a little support. We We're needed someone to remember us. I know, right? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Somebody bring the love. I mean, my God, we're still the unloved children that we were in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody loved us then. Nobody loves us now. Oh my God. We're still latchkey. Aww. Aren't we though? I totally feel that. But now we're like overprotective. Like yesterday we were letting the old one go somewhere, ride somewhere on his bike. And my husband was like freaking out. I'm like, okay, well you weren't in America when you were 14, but if you would have been, you would have like had a job and three children to look after at this point as his, at his age. So like he'll be fine. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a it's a delicate balance oh my goodness yeah the 80s were pretty wild i was uh reading a reddit about um about gen xers and they were saying one of them said um it's amazing how when i tell stories about my childhood in front of uh, a millennial uh and just normal stories of what we used to do they look at me like you know that's abuse and neglect right <laughs> Right. Oh my God. That's so true. I was with a couple of millennials this weekend. We were talking about just like, I'm like, well, your generation just like explains things better. You do Mm -hmm. things better. And they'd be like, yeah, how did you guys survive? (laughs) (laughs) How did you guys make it? I would never do that. Like, why would people do this to their children? I'm like, it's just, everybody did it. It wasn't like we were abused. Then everybody was abused. It was all the same. Everybody just had varying degrees of neglect. Just delicate. I don't know. Like, how did you guys make it out alive? Well, obviously not well. Look at all the therapy groups out there now. Well, and we became helicopter parents because of it, because we went in the opposite direction. Well, because we know what children do when left unattended. It's so funny because I sometimes get a little bit frustrated because I'm like, I was doing this and this and this, you know, at that age. And then I'm like, oh, well, it's probably better that he's not. Right. Know, like, it's probably for the best. It's probably for the best that he's still childlike and Sorry, I I know mine was like, I could get a job at the market basket. And I'm like, you could. I had a job when I was 14. He's like, well, uh, you know, I I could just get a job at the market basket for the summer and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what, though, kid, you're going to be working for the rest of your freaking life. life. So how about no? How about you not get your 14 year old job at the market basket? How about you have some fun this summer? Relax. Yeah. (laughs) Just 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 lay in bed and relax and be normal for a little bit. (laughs) All right. Should we get started? Yeah, let's get started. So for this episode, we are looking at books about young environmentalists from a fictional point of view. So we've read a lot of um, nonfiction. We've read some very, remember the depressing one we read last year where we were both like, I'm going to go dig a hole and hide in it now. Uh, It was like, what was it like? 
30 things you could do to save the environment, but it wasn't really anything you could do. It was all like, we're dead. We're screwed. We're going to (laughs) die. Yeah. This was sort of not the vibe we were looking for. I, I did better. I, maybe, I definitely went better. Yeah. We, okay. well, fiction maybe is a little fiction bit more was, positive yeah. than the reality. I, well, I, mine wasn't more positive. Mine had was like, mine's like a get your tissues kind of book, oh, but yeah, it definitely too. was not like, uh, we're all going to die. So we already know that. So there we go. Mine were tear jerkers a little bit too. So what's yours? So I read two books. I actually, oh I know I did it. I had some extra time this week. So I read two books. Both of them are brand new this year. Both books had themes of kind of loss and changes beyond our control. Oh, same for me. Good. And, but it had strong STEM and activism things also that were sort of in the forefront that were really awesome. So the first book I read is Where the Sky Lives by Margaret Dillaway. Um, this is her first standalone novel, but she has a series, I think another series out, but, um, and this book is about 12 year old stargazer Tuesday Beals, which I love kids who have names of days of the week. I don't know why I've always loved that. (laughs) And, uh, she lives in Zion national park with her mother who is an archeologist. And so she like manages all the native American sites and stuff like that. And, uh, Tuesday recently lost her uncle Ezra, who was basically serving as her father all her life because her mother had uh, chose to have her on her own through in vitro. Hey girl. And uh, she and her mother are both grieving this loss because it's obviously her mother's brother and her father figure. Yeah. Right. And so, and it's sort of caused a wedge between them where they, because her mom is really grieving and doesn't want to talk about it. And Tuesday does want to talk about it. So it's sort of causing this wedge um, that never really existed before. Cause they were always kind of like two peas in a pod. Um, and at the same time that's going on, there is a new housing development right next to Zion national park park that's threatening to ruin like the night skies of course right for the star viewing and um tuesday's favorite star viewing spots spots are sort of you know in jeopardy so it's really kind of a sad story there and then tuesday and her best friend carter they find an old camera and they learn to take photos with it which is kind of a cool side uh project that they have going and then they're photos start to reveal clues about an endangered animal on the neighboring property that might help stop the demolition and construction. So Carl Heisen, that's a very Carl Heisen move. I love it. It is. And um, yes, these actually both books I read obviously reminded me of Carl Heisen, but you know, Is, um, is Carter a boy? Carter is a boy. Yeah. Okay. I just love when there's a, when there's like a dynamic duo like that. I love when there's a boy, a girl combo. Because then you open it up to more readers. Yeah. And they're like best friends. And it's a super sweet story between the two of them, too. And she also um, makes friends with some adult, like the woman who owns the camera store helps her teach her how to develop old film. And um, so she kind of starts to get more adults in her life that helps sort of fill in, you know, this loss. But anyway, I just, I love the setting of where the sky lives uh, in Zion National Park. It was so interesting. And Tuesday's super persistent and resilient. Um, really, all the characters had their own form of resilience. And um, Tuesday is kind of an interesting kid, too, because she was very literal And she talks about that a lot, how like she misunderstands people because they're like joking or 
trying to be sly or whatever. And she's a very literal person. And so it kind of takes her a minute. She has to think about things. She also is sort of misunderstood because she says exactly what she's thinking. And it comes across like she's kind of smarty pants or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so she also has to kind of learn to stand up for herself and make herself understood that she's not being smarty pants. She's just, this is how she is. And she doesn't know how to be any other way. So she really kind of has a lot of lessons that she's learning throughout this book, which I thought were really interesting. Um, She also is very anti-social media, which I've kind of been seeing that more in middle grade books with the characters. I think that authors are really trying to represent kids who dislike social media as a way to kind of encourage kids to stay away from it. I don't know. I've just been seeing that more and more and trying to encourage kids to be out in the real world, you know? I've also seen a lot more kids at my son's age that are just like, I am not playing these games. Right. I think it, it I think it had it, it had its moment. And I think people are I think kids are seeing that it's, it's just such good a for them. It's not right. good. And they don't want to do it either. Like your son was the big sort of the hotbed of it. And then my sons are a little bit the end of it. And I think that this end of Gen Z is kind of like, yeah, no, there's not we're not really interested in it, which is awesome. I know that's great. that keeps going. Tuesday does get into Instagram for a little bit because she's taking these photos and people are encouraging her to share them. But then she starts to realize like that she's checking to see if she has like more mm-hmm. followers and what's happening. The with likes it. and yeah. she realizes that that's not good for her. So then she keeps it up so people can see the photos, but she gets rid of the app on her phone, you know, so she's not checking yeah. it. And I just thought, you know, like there was a lot of self-care happening there that I thought was really That's important. great. Yeah. I thought that was a really great book. It was had a really unique setting. The characters are all really believable. It was um, really interesting story about how they dealt with the loss, but also trying to save Zion and all the stuff they had to do for that, which was really interesting too. The main character of the second book I read was also more of a naturalist and not really into social media. And his name is Peter and he's the main character of Manatee Summer. Did you get that? I was going to read that one, but I couldn't get it here in time for me to read it before I left. That's why I read the second one because I was like, oh, I have it. I'm going to read it. And I'm so glad I did. It's a debut novel by Evan Griffith and it came out just this month. It's like days ago. Yeah. I really love this book. It drew me in right away and I couldn't put it down. Plus it has manatees in it. Oh my gosh. The manatee is so amazing in this story. I love it so much. You know, it's a set in Florida right? I love an environmental book set in Florida. I don't know what it is. I just love them. And I was just going to say, I've read so many books set in Florida this year. Like last episode, Treasure Tracks was set in Florida. And I hate Florida. I mean, it's not my place. It's <laughs> I'm fat. It's hot. It's got bugs. So it is not for me. No offense, Florida. I'm sure you're very fine people there. But you and I, for my my uh, girth, shall we say, are not a match. But yet I love reading about him. I love this. That's why I wanted to read this one because I'm yes. like, oh. You should have read it too. It's so good. I'm going to send it to you. Okay. Yeah, because it is so good. It had some similar themes to Treasure Tracks, but that was more of like a rollicking um, adventure story which is really fun where this one is it has the adventure but it also is really about the relationships and it kind of makes it a bit of a tearjerker but you know me i i like a good cry i know i don't mind a good cry and so and it was just so charming and so sweet but anyway so let me tell you about it so peter and tommy are best friends and they are almost like brothers i would say they really complement each other perfectly peter is daring and outspoken and tommy is sort of brainy and shy 
shy. And together they make up the Discovery Club, who's oh, I know it's adorable. Brother it's adorable. So whose mission is to discover and document in the Discovery Journal a hundred species in the wild before the end of summer. These boys are just about ready to start middle school. So that's sort of like tension or nervousness in the back of their minds throughout this summer. And they kind of feel like finishing the Discovery Journal is sort of part of that. Like it's coming to an end this time in their lives. I know. And then both boys are also dealing with some big changes that they're kind of keeping secret from one another. But the story is in uh, first person from Peter's perspective. He's sort of the outgoing one. And the secret he's hiding is that his papa, his grandpa, has Alzheimer's. And he's moved in with um, Peter and his mom. His mom's a single, uh, single mom. And she, he's been designated sort of the caregiver for his papa for the summer because his mom is a realtor and she had taken time off from work to take care of. Um, her dad, but now she needs to, you know, to have some money yeah. coming back in as a realtor. And so Peter is off for the summer. So he's going to stay with his papa. They are very close. And so Peter feels like he really needs to be the best caregiver he can be. And then also he wants to finish this discovery journal and he's worrying about middle school. He's like juggling a lot of things where he wants to be the best that he can. And then he and Tommy make their biggest discovery yet, which is a manatee that has floated into the canal by their homes. And Peter is instantly just amazed by this animal and he gives her a name and he checks on her as often as he can. And then one day he sees she's been injured by a boat propeller which is really common in the rivers. Um, and he gets he gets all panicked and he reaches out to these associations that help manatees to help get her help because he realizes he can't help her, even though he wants to be the one to help her. That whole incident sends him sort of on this journey of activism. And um, he focuses a lot on that because it sort of becomes it also, I mean, not that it's a bad thing, but it also sort of becomes a distraction from all the sad things that he's dealing with. It's just so good. So, so good. There's there's so much like STEM stuff in this book that is subtle and really fascinating. And just the activism stuff is, you know, him trying to stand up for manatees. There's like a clash between the manatee association and the boating association in his area. That sounds very Florida. I know. And they're trying to get, you know, he wants to see them work together to protect the manatees. And the boaters just want a boat. Yeah. And it's really interesting. Gosh, there's so many life lessons. The coolest thing about this book that, I don't know, appeals to me is he had kind of this arch nemesis. Main character Peter has an arch nemesis, which... Okay, I don't, I've always liked having an arch nemesis, and this sounds really stupid, but because not that to be somebody to be mean to or anything like that, but it helps motivate me to like do stuff, to get stuff done. If like, I'm like, oh, that person just did this. Well, then what the heck? I can be better than them. And I don't know what it is. Oh, I had an arch nemesis as a kid too. I love an arch nemesis story too. Yeah. Right. And like his arch nemesis is an adult. It just motivates Peter to like, really uh sink his teeth into like the whole manatee helping manatees oh good oh my gosh it's so good it's so good but then he also kind of comes to the conclusion that his arch nemesis is a complicated person too there's just uh so i came to the conclusion that my arch nemesis was a whore (laughs) (laughs) he's a better person that peter than i am (laughs) 
So yeah, it was just so many good things in the story. So which one do you like better? Well, I don't want to. Did like one speak to you more than the other? Or would they, they're both so different. I feel like Manatee Summer really spoke to me more, but I liked where the sky lives for its its own reasons. And it's not like anything you've read before, is it? The where the sky lives. Not we haven't really seen that theme in environmentalism before, right? Well, some of the themes are there with the activism and stuff, but I just like this. I like the setting. I thought the characters were unique and interesting. And, um, and, you know, the grief and stuff that they were dealing with was really um, powerful and interesting, yeah. too. Seems like a fresh concept. A lot of that. Mm-hmm. Went but, you know, Manatee Summer just like drew me right in. There was something about that that was so amazing. Where the Sky Lives has female ma- main character and Manatee Summer has two boy, you know, a boy main character and a boy secondary character. So, I mean, I could see where they could equally be on the shelf and serve similar purposes for like in a classroom or something. Okay. Manatee Summer, it's a little bit heavier. Where the Sky Lives was dealing with really heavy stuff too, but somehow, I think it's because the main character is like super matter of fact about things that it doesn't feel quite as heavy. In Manatee Summer, Peter is really denying a lot of what he's going through. And so Mm -hmm. you're feeling that along with him and you're like, oh, come on, Peter, you know, you're upset why you're upset, you know, but. And maybe that's just me as an adult because I was able to interpret it. And a boy mom. Yeah. But I I mean, both of them were really interesting um, environmental stories and interesting activist stories and STEM. The STEM stuff in both of them was fantastic. Would you say lower, upper? What do you say? Well, like in Manatee Summer, the kids are only 11, but I feel like it deals with some bigger issues. But mm-hmm. I mean, like fourth, fifth sixth grade, you know, that's kind of like our sweet spot, isn't it? We read a lot of books in that zone. I'm always looking for the lower and the higher end too, because those are hard to come by, but they still come into this category. And I thought that Manatee Summer was interesting too, because it's kind of dealing with before you start middle school, which is sort of an anxious time for a lot of kids. And it kind of deals with that subtly in the background. And I think that that's an important time. You know, and kids read a lot during that age in uh, Where the Sky Lives. She's 12. And I think traditional middle grade would enjoy that book. Do you think a younger kid would like that one? Yeah. Strong readers for both of them would probably be fine. Okay. I think uh, Manatee Summer, maybe it deals with heavier themes, but the writing is a little bit more like would probably be fine for third grade. Good. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. Okay. So you have been raving about your book. So I read Where the Sky Lives and Manatee Summer. What did you read? Tell me all about it. Okay. So this book has been on my TBR. I read um, The Line Tender by Kate Allen and it was on my TBR for a couple of the last couple summers because, you know, like you always have that one that you're trying to work into the podcast, but you haven't like found a spot for it. And then somehow it's gotten shuffled aside. And I thought when I picked it, when I originally picked it, I thought it was about um, shark conservation off of the Cape, off Cape Mm. Cod. But then as I got into it, that's such a small portion of what it was. And I was so pleasantly surprised by this book. I mean, it was such a good book. This is definitely one for older kids, though. I I think it's the themes are heavy. It's definitely I would give this to somebody in like seventh, eighth, ninth grade, as opposed to even though the main character is only 12, she's 12, but reads more like 14. Okay, I think she would she should have been placed at 14. It would have been a better fit. And this book came out in like late 2019. And I think it kind of got swept in with a lot of the 
you know, like right mm-hmm. when stuff, a lot of these books that we've been kind of going over the last couple of years got swept up in that, like, oh, right when they should have hit their stride, COVID hit and mm-hmm. they're kind of got lost in the shuffle. There's a lot out there to support this. If you wanted to teach this book in class, I don't know if I would touch it in class, but I would definitely recommend it to my students. So anyway, that being said, this is uh, Kate Allen's debut novel and it's the only thing she has out so far. And I hope she comes out with more because I really like her story. So this is the story of Lucy and Lucy's growing up on the North shore. I I live on the South shore. Lucy's on the North shore of Massachusetts Mm -hmm. in Rockport, which is right around Salem. And it's hard to figure out, but it's not really clear, but it is the nineties. I do wish it was a little bit clearer because I think that would help the story a lot. If it, maybe I just missed the times it was mentioned because I kept going back to be like, are we now? Are we before? Mm -hmm. And then there were no, there's no phones, there's no social media and they Mm -hmm. kind of could suss it out that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But that I wish it had been a little bit clearer, but you know, it's set in the nineties. Lucy's mother is dead. She was a Marine biologist who passed away of a brain aneurysm on a boat out at sea off of the Cape. And she had an aneurysm and she was dead before they could get back to land. And there's, that's pretty much all we really find out about it. But what Lucy's 12 and she and her best friend, Fred, they, they live next door to each other. And Fred's got this big Irish Catholic family as it was wont to do in Massachusetts. And Lucy's just sort of part of the family. She's just sort of gets a grouped in with the family. You know, they take her everywhere because her dad is a detective in Salem. And he's also a, uh, what do they call it? Rescue diver. Mm. Hello, this is where things get really like bring your tissues. Let me just say <laughs> he's a rescue diver. And um, so whenever there's a, a an emergency or something, her dad gets called out. So Fred's family's always kind of been there for her to take care so that he can do that. There's also an old man who lives next door who has always looked out for Lucy as well. And he takes on an amazingly awesome role as things move on. So he's an old widower, a retired engineer who lives next door in the house, you know, like right next to Lucy. And he kind of looks out for Lucy too, because everybody needs to help Lucy because Lucy's father is a hot mess express. Mm -hmm. And between spending his time solving murder cases and diving for dead people, he doesn't have much time to be a father. And he's not a very good one at the beginning of the book. So let that be said. So she and Fred, Fred asked, Fred asked the teacher for extra homework because that's how Fred is. He's, of course, he's like the wheezy asthmatic who's always like huffing on his inhaler and everything. And he's asked for extra homework over the, over summer vacation. So the teachers assigned them all a field guide and they could find anything. They could work as a pair and then anything they found live or dead, it had to be recorded in the field guide. And then Fred would write about it and explain it. And Lucy would draw images of it because Lucy's an artist. So they have the field guide. Everything's going fine. And then there is a terrible, tragic, tragic accident with Fred. And um, that's also when we learn what the title of the book actually means. And it's absolutely horrendous, which caused me to like, literally, I, I like my jaw dropped. And I was like, oh my God, it's a really hard book. There is so much grief. This whole book is about losing people that are close to you. And obviously I, spoiler alert, Fred dies. You kind of know from the beginning that something's going to happen to Fred because things are looking good for Fred. And then Fred, yeah, it's, it thinks it takes a really weird and unfortunate turn that I don't think a lot of younger readers really could handle very well. I, but I think an older middle schooler could handle it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I feel like it's better for older kids. Um, when Fred is gone and the field guide is sort of left abandoned and uh, Lucy's father is hurt very badly in the rescue accident. And so he's now at home and Lucy's like, 
kind of feeling smothered because she's always kind of been on her own. Mm -hmm. Now she doesn't have Fred to pal around with. Her dad is always there, but he's a hot mess express as well. And he can't get off the couch because his foot has been shattered. Then she decides that maybe she'll try to finish the field guide right before when they, so all of this, one thing about the field guide that was important is there's a fisherman, a local fisherman who was a friend of both of her parents. And Sookie brings in an accidental catch like he has an accidental catch and he catches a great white shark and that's sort of at the beginning of the book and that's why fred wants to follow up on the great white why did sookie catch a great white shark off the coast of cape or off the coast of massachusetts so that's what where the where he left off when he died he was trying to figure that out fred decided to figure that out by going into lucy's mom's old office in their house and going through her research mm-hmm. and so fred had a bunch of her research and they were starting to sort of piece things together when Fred dies, after she comes around about halfway through the book, she kind of comes around and she's like, okay, well, if this was Fred's work and this was my mom's work, then I need to figure out why I need to figure out what this work is. And I need to continue the work. And so Lucy learns for her mom's research that there, there is a reason that the Cape Cod, uh, that the sharks are showing up on Cape Cod. And that reason is something to do with the seals and Lucy's trying to figure out why. And she, this takes her on a voyage with these three men, the old man next door, her father, and then the fisherman, Sookie, who now is back in the picture because everybody's like, this girl's a mess. We all need to help her. Mm-hmm. Her father can't drive. So Sookie, the fisherman decides to drive them. The old man says, oh, I have a giant Cadillac. Let's drive my Cadillac all over the place. And the three of them set off to Maine to talk to the, the guy that her mother was doing the study with, who now has dementia. They said, they go off to the Cape. They meet this other marine biologist and they go on this like great sort of three men and a little girl <laughs> journey. That's and awesome. it's just awesome. And But it's so much about grief. That's the hard mm-hmm. part. All of this is really interesting, but because it, it's also the, the old neighbor next door, he, he talks a lot about missing his dead wife. Um, it's about Fred missing, losing Fred. It's about her father trying to get, she try, is trying to get her father to come to terms with the fact that the mother is dead but you should still keep Sookie in your life and still keep these people that remind you of your, of my mother in your life. She's dealing with figuring out who her mother was because she was seven when she died. And it's just piecing all these things together under the guise of sort of conservation and Mm -hmm. what is happening and what is changing in our environment that is causing these sharks to show up. And it all starts with the dead shark in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's it's a really great book. I did not explain it well because it's kind of all over the place, but that's sort of the gist of it. I just think it's also a really good book that you, the less you know about it, the better you like it. Because I didn't mm-hmm. know what it was about. What I thought it was about is not what it all was about. Um, it's realistic fiction. It's 100% on the money. You feel like you are literally standing on the North Shore most of the time. It doesn't have a real Boston flair, which is nice because I think sometimes when people set books in Massachusetts, they just sort of go for that stereotypical Boston vibe. It doesn't have that. Um, It's more coastal town in New England. That's where they live. It's just who they are. She's a good main character. She's funny. She's not really sweet. She's not always likable, which I think makes her very realistic. I wish Fred was around longer because I really liked Fred, but he doesn't stay with us for very long. Uh, it has a very my girl feel to it. Do you remember that? Yes, movie? as I was it's thinking got about the, those. It's, it's kind of got the my girl feel to it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and it's got great reviews. People liked it besides just me. I listened to the audio version for a lot of it. And then I also read large chunks of it. And the audio version is really good because they have a younger person reading it. Mm. So it does. And it's first person. So it does sound like you get a really you're inside Lucy's head. 
but it also makes it a little bit harder because kind of, and maybe that's my own, like my, my own grief of having had a dead parent at at that age too. So maybe that's my own projection, but um, you know, it is, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a heavy book, but it's a really good read and you feel really satisfied at the end. You feel Mm -hmm. like at the end, I will say like, you feel like these people are all going to be okay. You went on a really hard journey with all of them, including Fred's family. But at the end, you feel like, okay, they're going to be, they're going to be okay because they have a great support system. And Lucy has a great support system. And the three old men that take her places are fabulous (laughs) between her like laid up father, the old man next door and the crazy fisherman. You really feel like she's going to be okay. So it's a great book. I highly recommend it. It's the line tender. Just you're going to be sad when you find out what the line tender means um, by Kate Allen. So sad. So sad. (laughs) But you know what else I want to say? If you're an adult that loves middle grade books, this is one for you because they're definitely this is heavy. And it's a but you you get a lot of lighter touches on heavy themes. I liked it. Kind of like the whispers. Yes, I would definitely put it in the same camp. A hundred percent. So I would give it up. Kate Allen, we'd like to see another book. I like this one. Give me another one, girl. Yeah. I mean, Evan Griffith, Manatee Summer was his debut too. So definitely. Oh, was it? Yeah. I love reading debut authors. It's so fun. But I like a debut author that then does good. Like Tanya Guerrero, our girl, we read her debut and then now she's taken off like hotcakes. So keep them coming. Yeah. You can always tell the ones that are probably going to take off. That's awesome. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with this week's pick six. For this week's pick six, we're giving you some summer vacation help. If your kids are driving you nuts, here are a few sites that can help them feel empowered to learn more and to work to make a difference in their environment. Um, And these are sort of inspired by our books that we read this time around. And it'll make you feel like their brains aren't going to mush over the summer. So you can feel good about it too. I mean, if they're going to have screen time, you might as well like give them educational screen time. I agree hundred percent. Yes. It should be uh, beneficial to them if you're going to already be on the screens. Right. So what did you get? What have you got? Okay. I, I loved my little activists that were in the books I read this time. So I went with the eco theme. Um, Evan Griffith, the author of Manatee Summer recommends uh, www.savethemanatee.org for people who are interested in helping the manatees. Websites like that can be great places for middle schoolers to check out mm-hmm. over the summer because they can learn with sort of without realizing it, which is kind of the best way to learn, right? So uh, the site has a lot of info on manatees, including facts, migration patterns, the sounds they make. Oh, cool. Yeah. And um, kids can also see manatees through, they have like a webcam and a viewing area. And you can also adopt a manatee, which is a great way to motivate the next gen of eco-warriors out there. We're going to need them for sure. Just please don't name it after anyone you know. That's not a flattering thing. <laughs> if what? my kids are like, hey, mom, we got a manatee. We named it after you. I'd be like, uh, thanks, <laughs> I guess. I think I'd be okay with that. I don't know. Manatees are pretty awesome. So- they are, but they're a little chunky. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know the females are larger than the males? Of course they are. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to humanity. (laughs) 
anyway, uh, savethemanatee.org was a great site. You should check it out. I had fun playing on that site. Uh, the second site I'd recommend is the National Park Service or NPS.gov. If you can't make it to the National uh, National Park this summer for a visit, um, the website is a great place to play around. It has a section called Listen In that has natural sounds from the parks, including animals, birds, water. I thought that would be a really fun sort of um, educational, but also really fun thing to do with kids. They also have a section titled Photos, Videos, webcams and more. Um, So that's all good stuff. If you can't get to a park, it's also, um, I think, a great jumping off point for exploring your own neighborhood. You could be like Peter and Tommy and you can create your own discovery journal and see what you can find. And um, there's so much. Yeah, there's so much you can do. So anyway, I just thought that's a great resource for learning about animals and hearing different sounds in nature um, if you can't get out. And then I was lazy this week and didn't find a third one. So Marty. It's because you read two books. You you read two books and I only read one. So that's all. But, you know, I'm trying to pack my family to head across the world to visit grandma. Yeah, I know. I know. But so Margie has four websites for you and I only had two. So my two were SaveTheManatee.org and NPS.gov. Nice. What do you got? Well, one of them is FreeRice.com. And I give this to all of my students. I love this site. If you go to freerice.com, it gives you trivia questions. You can choose different levels of difficulty. And then if you go over to the categories, you'll see arts and culture, history, and then you get down to focus and uh, focus on food and sustainability. There's climate action questions, there's food waste, and there's global sustainability goals. Those are three different topics that you can play. There's also English, there's languages, there's other, my kids have, I make my kids do, my own personal kids do Turkish lessons on there. Um, And it's super fun. There's math, there's science, there's everything else, but these environmental ones are the ones that I want you to check out. So for every question you get right, 50 grains of rice go into your bowl. And when you have, I think it's like, 500 or maybe it's 1500 grains of rice in your bowl. You get, it literally drops it down into your bowl at the bottom below your question. And you don't lose rice when you get the question wrong either. Then a bowl of rice is donated to the UN World Food Project. So you're, you're actually doing something. You're playing a game, you're learning at the same time, but you're also donating food to uh, countries in need. So that's a really cool one as well. So that's free rice. You could send your kids. I assigned this to all of my kids in my writing class because there's grammar, vocabulary, and all that kind of stuff. Just that's a mom's secret for you all. (laughs) You can send them there to learn about flags and geography. You can have a glass of wine at night and do the geography or the famous quotations. Just make sure that you don't get Alzheimer's when you're older because that's what I do. After I do my Wordle in the morning with my coffee and at night I do my geography on free rice with a little glass of wine. And all the tannins are making me smart, right? It's all about staying staying on top of things. So that's freerice.com. That's my first uh, recommendation. That's for everybody. Everybody should be on there playing. The second one for web, website for kids is the EPA. We all need to love the EPA. They're going through some hard times right now, no thanks to the Supreme Court. So the EPA puts a lot of great stuff out there. My husband works a lot with them through his uh, work as well. And the envi- that's the Environmental Protection Agency, for those of you that are not quite as nerdy as myself. If you go to their site you, or you Google epa.gov slash students, there's a, we're, we're going to add the link. And it's games and quizzes and videos. And on there, it's, a, it's more for older kids. There's a lot. Uh, and it gives you like grades. Like uh, there's energy choices, air quality games, 
for older kids, there's uh, like this. I did it last night. It was so fun. You you are reading tides. Mm. Uh, it's from NASA. How the moon pulls the tides and all that kind of stuff. It was really cool. It teaches you how to like uh, check the air quality of your home for kids. This is all for kids. There's one about habitats. There's um, environmental health, pollution, all that kind of stuff. That's interesting. So it's really fun. And it's got like pollinators. It gives you some for younger kids. I think the youngest it goes is maybe like grade two, three, somewhere in there. But it's got some really cool stuff. And that is under the EPA.gov. Games, quizzes, and videos is that section. And it's like EPA kids you can get in there. So if you go to EPA.gov and then uh, look for students. And like Margie said, we'll put all the links for all these in the show notes. Yeah. So you can check them there. And give the EPA some love because they're having some hard times. The next one is the American Museum of Natural History. And that is at www.amnh.org. And they have an ology site. And the one that I have chosen is marine biology. Marine biology site and the ology section is super cool. It's good for younger ones and middle schoolers as well. It's about becoming a uh, ocean pres- preservationist. It talks about whales and whale tails. It talks about like projects to do in nature, how camouflage works under the sea, bioluminescence, different ways that fish feed. It's like a nerd dream. My kids are major fish nerds. They eat this up. This one they have definitely eaten up. And that is the uh, Museum of Natural History Ology. O-L-O-G-Y. And that's um, that's under them as well. And this is, these are all free. P.S. Everything is free. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to go across the pond because the Young People's Trust for the Environment, YPTE of Great Britain, and it's ypte.org.uk, has these things called home learning packs. And I think that they, they kind of came around during COVID mm. and there's, they give you like a whole lesson plan and a whole thing that's fun to do. It's great for homeschoolers. It's great for moms that are about to kill their children because they're bored. They have a like making bioplastic experiment in oh, there that yeah. we've done. That's super interesting. It tells you there's a one whole thing that I thought was fascinating. They have like a whole packet of how to build a pond and then monitor your pond. And there's different links for everything that you need to do to monitor the pond. You could do all of this with an existing pond if you have an. I mean, like where you live, mm-hmm. there are ponds everywhere you go. You could mm-hmm. take all of this and monitor a, a, a water bo- a body of water near you. We can do it in the bogs here. Um, really cool. It's about there's things about plants, rainforest. This is any age group. You'll find something for any age group, and even a lot of the the when you go on these kind of sites and you like, oh, that's too that's too young, that's too babyish. It's not. My mm-hmm. older son would, he totally loves that stuff because you know what they, they remember it kicks in their memory mm-hmm. and they're like, oh yeah, I did know about animal habitats, but then I put Latin in on top of it and forgot. And it took up all the space. Now let me have more, let me re- revisit that and mm-hmm. think about that again. And it sparks something that will t- send them off to learn more about it. And that one again was the young people's trust for the environment. And that is ypte.org.uk. Awesome. And the home learning packs is the one. There's a that's a cool site to begin with. There's a lot of stuff on there, but the home learning packs are particularly interesting. So there's my four. And go to free rice when you have your Franzia tonight and enjoy. <laughs> Just go to work on spelling. You can work on geography. Flags of all nations is there. Anything. And it's and you'll be donating food as well, which that's is awesome. awesome and important. Very cool. What's on deck for our next episode? Well, we're going to camp. Wouldn't it be fun to go to camp now? No, I think we need. I was not a big fan of camp before, but I would totally go to camp now. Oh my gosh, when I was younger, and this is even before I had a kid, 
I had, I thought it would be so awesome to have like a mom camp where moms could come and get yeah. like massages and 100%. drink mimosas and hundred thousand percent. Yes. I still think that's a really good idea. <laughs> I am down, down, down for I'm that. Sure you say when and where out there somewhere. So yes, camp sounds like so much fun. So what are you reading for camp stories? Well, you've selected for me, the problem children. And I don't know anything about it. So okay. I'm kind of psyched. That's what I'm reading by Natalie Lloyd. So I'm reading The Problem, pre-R-O-B-L-I-M, Ooh. children. Ew. So, and I don't I'm... know what you gave me, but that's what you picked for me. So it I'm is? going for it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't even I remember. love that your memory loss. You know what? Your memory loss is getting worse. It's time for you to go to freerice.com. Go. <laughs> I know. I need some practice. <laughs> Get on there. I need some practice. I always feel like a genius when I, you know, like, oh, I picked that. Oh, I'm, I don't even remember right? doing it. I'm so smart. It's like when you've written something and you haven't looked at it for a few months, you're like, oh God, I'm a genius. God, (laughs) give me the Nobel prize. Oh, unbelievable. Um, Okay. And then for camp stories, I'm reading Vanishing Act by Laura Martin. She's my fellow Hoosier here. Um, So I can't wait to read her book. That's that. That might be her second or third book. I can't remember. But I think anyway. it's her fourth. Oh, is it really? Okay. So yeah. I'm behind the, I'm behind on that. But this is her newest one, this Vanishing Act. It just came out. So that wraps up the 50th episode of Tulip Mama's podcast. Our golden anniversary. Yes. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review and share us. We'll love you forever. As we mentioned before, share us because people, we have opinions and people need to hear them. <laughs> We have really good opinions. And the next time that you're sitting there on the beach, as is, as happened to me this week, and someone's like, oh, I got to find something for my kid to read. I wish I had some ideas. All you need to do is share us. Yeah. And your little go to your iPhone, go down to your podcast, share this podcast and send it to them to let mamas. That's us. Send it to them. And then we will love you forever. And maybe yes. we'll put you on our Franzia list. We haven't put anybody on there for a while. So we better get on there. I know. And your friend will love you too for helping they her will. find books for her kids. <laughs> They'll be like, wow, you're a genius. Thanks, Beck. <laughs> if you want to join us twice a month for Kidlet discussions, please subscribe to the Two Lit Mamas podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. Or if you want to know what's happening in our world, you want to see pictures of cows from my visit to Iowa. I'm sure that you'll see many cute pictures from my visit to Turkey. Um, you can follow us and the books. Of course, I do put books on there. Yes. <laughs> but, and Heather's dog. I put Heather's dog on there as often. Um, you can follow us on Two Lit Mamas, TWO Lit Mamas podcast on Instagram or TWO Two Lit Mamas on Facebook on, or on our website, www.twolitmamas.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.